podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Scouser Tommies, and thank you for listening, because when things were this bad for Liverpool in days gone by, and our news was kind of, always came from the Echo or Granada Reports, Match of the Day, CFAX, whatever, I basically just tried to avoid everything until until the next game and hoped, hoped that things would improve, but um, if you're not avoiding everything and you're listening to this, thank you. I'm Jim Boardman, and today I'm with Jay Reid and Tony Evans, and yeah, we're going to try and talk about things from... Uh, from a Liverpool perspective about about the club um, and try and be as bright and cheerful as we possibly can. Um, Jay, you sound like you've been shouting a lot at the TV, but maybe not. No, no, I wish I was. <laughs> um, as I said, uh, 20 minutes to put myself through the agony of watching Liverpool versus Wolves the other day. And that was the only football I bothered to endure um, over the last few days because it's kind of getting me in that feeling where I can't be bothered anymore. Like, just... Oh, we got, I'll be going to the game. Not another day if I'm going to the game. Um, and maybe a few other circumstances. But, yeah, it's just that sort of feeling. You kind of know what's going to happen. And it isn't a good feeling. Like, years ago, like I'm saying years ago, like three or four years ago when we were, like, rolling teams over, you'd think, right, Wolves away, 2-0. You know, comfortable win. We'll probably have it wrapped up by 60 minutes. Rotate a few players. And you kind of knew going into that game, we're probably going to lose you. And that shouldn't be the way we're thinking. That's a that's a mentality that we shouldn't really be going through. Um, but it's a sign of the times that it all isn't right. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to discuss really in terms of what's not right for us at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame you only watching 20. Unfortunately, I, um, I was down to do Raw straight after, so I had to stick myself all the way through the whole lot. So we could talk about it afterwards. But to be honest, doing Raw afterwards was a little bit cathartic. Sort of got a lot of stuff off your chest. But Tony, I don't think, not only can you not sort of get away with avoiding Liverpool games, you've kind of got to watch a bit of everything, haven't you? So, I mean, are Liverpool as bad as everyone else as it feels like at the moment in, in the grand scheme of things? Or is everyone having a bit of a wobble? You know, are we maybe not quite as bad as we think? Nah, we're worse. <laughs> it's, um, it's terrible, you know. It's uh, you look at like clubs like Fulham and Brentford, and you know, and obviously Brighton, who we've seen a lot of in the last month, and you see how well they're doing and how well they're playing, and you're like, oh my god! And you know, even um, even our blue friends got their act together and and showed how a, a group of players who you look at and you say they're not fit really for purpose in the Premier League and yet Dice comes in there organises them, get them running for each other and, and they, they beat Arsenal now whether that'll last is another question indeed but it does make you wonder that given the amount of talent that there is in Anfield 
given the amount of success and experience there is, that whether there's some deeper underlying problems, because we shouldn't be this bad. And, you know, I'm old enough to see the comedy value of it. <laughs> and because, um, you know, I've, I've been on the roller coaster for what, you know, it's like, you know, I'm 62 now. So I've been on the roller coaster for, what, 56, 57 years. You know, it's, um, so I, I, I mean, you know, when that first goal at Brighton, the seconds have come over and I'm like, don't let it bounce, don't let it bounce, don't, <laughs> don't let it bounce. And then, like, don't stand off, don't stand, and then he stood off. Oh, he got what he deserved. You know, and, and you know, you, you look at Matter and you think, well, yeah, you, you, you did you get what you deserve? We, we are. That, that, that's, that's amateur stuff. That's, that's defending like me in the, the Kirby League. And that's no good. <laughs> no, and um, well, I bet it's better than that, though. You know, so you want to um, you want to sort of put your name forward because the way that they're going at the minute, um, they might need you. And that that's that's not helping though, is that the back four has been? I don't know how many variations of the back four we've had this season, and how many more we still got to see. It's just not been the same one, and um, and it feels to me like that there is something fundamentally wrong. But there's so many little things that are wrong that are all adding up that. I mean, they all need working on, and maybe sort of the, the further back you go into the root cause of things, maybe some of them will get fixed. But um, it just feels like a club at the minute that that's just lost itself. It's forgotten, forgotten who it is. It's lost its identity. Um, I mean, the stories this week that our football directors basically just waiting until he goes and starts a job at Ajax. I don't know if that's true. Um, there's just so much going on, and you think, well. I mean, why? Why Why would he want to do that? Why would you want, with all due respect to Ajax, why would you want to leave Anfield to go and work for them? Um, the only the only thing to me, you'd say, with the success Liverpool have had, is that um, you're not going for success. You may be going for more money. Um, and I'm surprised we can't match the money. So it sort of just seems odd that maybe there's something more underlying that. But Jay, for the, the 20 minutes you saw then, would you, um, you said it was sort of maybe the, the best 20 minutes we had. And I think, you know, we started the game awfully. And before, before long, we got to a, a sort of stage where we were just bad. And, uh, you know, maybe on another day, when if, if we hadn't not conceded those first two goals, maybe we were doing enough to sort of get back into the game and, and maybe could have got somewhere. But obviously, chasing a game like that, you're going to concede. And we did. But I mean, did you see any sort of bright, bright sparks, any sort of little shoots of hope in that bit that you saw? I would say it was the best 20 minutes purely based on the barrage of. Um, not abuse, just a barrage <laughs> of violence words that were being used on me WhatsApp because I had the pleasure of going and doing the food shop on Saturday afternoon and I come out the shop and it was quarter past three and I had no signal in the shop and my phone was buzzing and then when I got in the car and put the shop in the booth I had a look and I was like, oh, oh <laughs> uh, I might just go back in the shop and just do another week's worth um, because it kind of felt like the better thing to do but for me, sins have come home through the second half on, and we did, as you say, we, we did create a few chances, a few openings, and on another day, you know, a goal goes in and the tide, you know, stems in your favour and, you know, we might get to 2-2 and who knows from there on. But at the moment, if, if you're looking for positives, then I think the only sort of positive we're looking at is the young lad in midfield, Besesic, 18 years of age, and... That's a damning indictment on where we are as a team at the moment, where we are as a squad. That this kid who, you know, was not on the lips of anybody two or three months ago, unless you you're into the academy football. All of a sudden, we're looking at him going, "Well, 
he's kind of like a mainstay in our midfield. We need him there because the other options that we've had and we've used just don't seem fit for purpose at the moment. And other than other than him, there isn't much there. Like you know, Gapo on the left looked a little bit better with Nunes down the middle. We kind of looked a little bit more natural in terms of attacking. Like I think you know. Gapo only had half a dozen games and you can't judge anyone on that but just to think his natural ability of wanting to, to go at players sort of comes better from the left-hand side or from a deeper position if he is playing central but obviously we haven't sort of had the availability of, of others to do that right now so yeah it's it's clutching at a very very small handful of straws for any positives out of that. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it was nice that we actually got the front three that's our basically, basically our only fit front three to actually play together because we, we've only had like a, a fit front two for so much of the time. And obviously, as the season goes on, you hope to get the others back as well and to have some actual competition. But it, it is, it's, it's clutching at straws. And the, and the truth is, you know, I get that some players might be tired if they're playing a lot of games and stuff, but not, not after they, they'd had a gap like that. Um, you know, I get that, you know, there's some players can be, uh, you know they could do with they could do with having some competition on the bench just to give them that kick up the arse that any player needs who's not playing at his best. I'm sure it would help if they knew that their time you know the days were numbered if they didn't start putting a performance in because there was someone on that on that touchline warming up ready to take the place. But it is clutching at straws. And Tony, do you do you sort of um, do you read anything into that sort of story this week about the Ajax and our director of football Julian Ward going over there and things? Is that um, you know, and he's not, if he does go, he won't be the only person to have sort of left for other things. And, you know, what, I don't know, when you hear about people leaving somewhere, you know, it's, it's usually, you know, it can be a massive coincidence, but then you start to wonder, what is it? And it's not just money, because I think, I don't think people leave jobs just for money. There's usually more to it than that. For one thing, you need more than just to say money when you go for your interview, don't you? So there must be other reasons. Have you got any, any feeling of whether, you know, are we starting to rot? Are you that person who has everything? the coolest merch, and those must-have fan threads. Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. I think there's... there's, um, It's always difficult because when you're in a bad spell... The, um, the the problems are always magnified. And, you know, you win three games in a row and then everyone can deal with it. But I don't think it's the best working environment ever. I mean, you know, for so long, uh, Mike Gordon, Michael Edwards and Klopp in the recruitment department were a tight unit. And then, of course, Edwards leaves um, basically worn down by the, to believe, worn down by the, you know, the day-to-day pressure of the business needed to break and he hasn't resurfaced another job yet so that that appears to have a lot of validity and then, then mike gordon is taken out of the equation to to try and drum up a buyer for the club so all of a sudden it's a different dynamic and i don't think 
you know, we 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 saw last week at the press conference the way you know Jürgen reacted to the question from James Pierce mm-hmm. by refusing to um, refusing to answer and obviously getting the wrong man. <laughs> um, and you know, it's 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 one then. But I think what what it shows aside of his personality, he can be you know he's fiery. He's um, yeah. he's always up for a fight, and sometimes. Again, you know, I've said this about his dealings with players. People think, oh, you know, oh, smiley Yeg, and when things are going well, and you know, he must be fantastic. And you, you see him outside football, and he's brilliant, he's engaging, he's funny, and all that. But you know what? He can be a hard taskmaster, and sometimes he can lash out in a way that perhaps is unfair. Every, you know, all these, all, most managers are the same. You know, and and particularly the charismatic ones can, you know, can be uh, excitable at times. And we've seen it. You've seen them after games. You know how he does. So he can be. He can be sometimes difficult to work with. And and there's there's a bit of that going on. And I think um, with with Gordon Round that you know he he had, you know, one of the owners fairly close. You know, in, in proximity. And even if it wasn't, you know, physically in, in distance, you know, but talking to him all the time, that sort of thing. And I think once the balance was, um, you know, sort of was was disrupted, for want of a better word, I, I think the the working processes there haven't quite got got. You know, everyone's. I mean, I'd say two two out of the three of this tight recruitment units have left, and the balance hasn't been restored yet. And we'll find its own way, because it always does. But while we're waiting for it to, to happen, it will be painful. And you know, people are leaving because they think, well, I mean, there's the other thing, you know, Liverpool, you know, it's a great place, we love it and all that. But you know, if he's got the chance to go and live in Amsterdam for a while, <laughs> he might might fancy that. He, you know, I mean, like look at Liverpool's red light district. I love <laughs> Amsterdam's. Actually, I don't think either of them would attract anyone to any. <laughs> but but they, you know, the, the, there's a lot to be said. You know, if you're fairly, yeah, uh, you know, youngish or whatever age you are, you know, the, the opportunity to work abroad and and Ajax are a great club. So yeah. you you can see why there'd be some attraction there, especially if perhaps things are not as settled and the working relationships aren't as stable as you would have hoped at Liverpool. Yeah, and I think that's something that we sort of it's too e- all, all too easy to do is to kind of look at it from your own point of view. As a, as a Liverpool fan, you don't sort of see any competition. Everyone else is miles below you, even if they're not miles below you in the league. It's a totally different proposition. But Ajax, yeah, going to Amsterdam, um, change the scenery and everything. It's Yeah, it, it would make sense. It just feels like there's so much of it going on and um, there's not much being done to address it. And I think one thing that, that frustrates me, and maybe again, it's a sign that there's not much being done at the club to kind of, you know, maybe put things right, not on the front foot at least with it is, um, it's always Klopp. I mean, he has to do the press conferences. You know, there's contracts in place with the league that you've got to go and do all these different press conferences before and after games, speak to the press on all these different occasions. But a lot of the stuff he's been asked about is probably not for him to do. I mean, Jay, you, you, you know yourself, if, if, um, if Jurgen Klopp talks about wanting plays and stuff, it's not really down to him. I would say to necessarily be the one that's going out there looking and saying, you know, 
I need a new midfielder. This is the midfielder I want. It's more a case of, um, you know, letting it be known I want a midfielder, seeing what options he's given, hopefully, and then talking about it. And so when a transfer window goes by and the whole world is saying Liverpool needs to sort its midfield out and nothing gets done, it's Klopp having to answer the questions. But it feels as though it's not really it's Klopp's fault that this is the situation, even though he'll try and say the right thing to sort of show some sort of unity from the club. But it's always him being wheeled out. Is that fair? Probably not in in some respect. He's he's a bit like, you know, a night watchman in cricket. Get out there and face the last, you know, <laughs> few balls of the day while the Indians are pelting in 90 mile an hour at your shins and your head. And he's just got to stand there and do <laughs> what he can. Um, he, he is in a position where obviously it comes with, you know, the responsibility of the job. But again, as Tony's touched on, there's... There's that much going on behind the scenes, you know, it, it can't be ignored and it's clearly having an effect, you know, on clock and on, on, on the pitch as well, on the, on the players. Like, you'd have to be a fool to, to admit that you you can't see that something is going on that's affecting, you know, the whole club, whether that on the field, off the field, financially, you know, recruitment-wise and all that. It's all... You know, it's all interlinked. It's all, all the cogs of, of the machine clearly not functioning in one way or another and at the moment, the machine is just not ticking over at all. So, yeah, it, in any sort of probably business, there, there is going to be someone who's going to be the guy who's got to not be the fall guy, but he's got to come out and answer the questions. And, it, you know, I suppose some people would say he's paid the big bucks, so therefore, you know, he's just got to get on and deal with it. And, you know, we'd, we'd all love to be managed at Liverpool one day. I'm sure there's thousands and millions of people out there who think they can do a better job, but clearly, you know, they can't. Um, yeah. And they're not in a position to do so. But that's all opinions that we can give. Um, he, he does he does cut a frustrated figure. And I think, you know, it, it's been documented pre-return of football after the World Cup. There was a lot of speculation about, you know, potential investments in Liverpool, whether that be a full sale, whether that be a minority stake and whatever. And there did seem to be a spring and a step. And, you know, the, there's quotations from Virgil when he was with the Netherlands squad saying, you know, he's looking forward to, um, you know, more new players. And it sounded like, you know, there was a potential that there was a few coming in and, you know, mm. maybe the, the club would be settled when he returned from the World Cup. And, you know, here we are what, nine, ten weeks on from when the World Cup finished and there is no sort of off-field developments and maybe that is, you know, a reason why he's cutting a frustrated figure. Maybe he was told something and, you know, it's not materialised. This is all, obviously, speculation that we are, we're having here, but it would not be a surprise if there is something in that. The, he was told, you know, the club is going to be given... X amounts of funds and you can have X amounts of players and stuff like that and you know you could be able to revitalise the squad and, and kick on for the second half of the season and it's not being forthcoming and yeah he is the guy who's got to front it up because you know for all that you know FSG are lauded and for all that you know the they've done for the club a lot of people are frustrated with them but they're not going to come out unless they're really pushed to do so in public and especially you know given that they're situated in Boston they see no right really probably to come out and and answer to the public of Liverpool and and the fans of Liverpool so it is unfortunately the situation of the manager who's got to do that I think as well though I think um, 
it kind of adds more weight to the idea that they could just do with a sort of someone with feet on the ground here who kind of gets, I mean, I, got, I said this in a podcast the other day and it kind of got jumped on the wrong way when I said gets Liverpool. And I don't mean that in the old fashioned, he gets us, he gets us, that kind of thing that you hear. Like fans. Lampard in the blue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm talking about someone who's like, who's based you know, he, he sort of, he, he understands the game in this country. He understands this sport. He understands this team and this league and, and our place in the league. Doesn't have to be from the city. Doesn't have to be a Liverpool fan. Just someone who's, you know, who's sort of, um, experience is in this world rather than maybe another world overseas somewhere, you know, transatlantic. And that would just help sort of, I think, just, just help smooth things along. And, and maybe that person would be calling media people in to say, you know, maybe one or two of them say, look, I'm going to take a bit of heat off Jürgen here and just I'll bring you in and I'll have a chat to you and I'll answer a few questions for you and I'll just take some heat off Jürgen. But, you know, it's it's not happening at the moment, so maybe it's not going to do. Um, one, that, one thing that's interesting as well, I did um, I sat in for Trev doing Molby on the spot the other day and Jan Molby asked me a question, which it was quite difficult to answer, but I think it's definitely before Jay's time. But, Tony, you'll remember when we had our last big decline in the 90s, um, Jan was saying, um, how long did it take you to notice um, that that was what was happening, that it was a decline? And I remember thinking, you know, as I'm trying to answer it, I'm thinking, well, it wasn't a thing that you sort of noticed overnight. You always felt for quite a while that we were just a little bit, you know, a couple of changes away from being okay. You know, we were just slipping away from where we want to be. And, you know, and there was all that. I remember all the fanzine being full, uh, fanzines being full of stuff like oh, the injuries, the injuries, all the stuff like that. But, you know, Years later, maybe 10 years later, you look back and think, my God, the decline was well earlier than any of us maybe accepted, certainly me. I mean, do you remember yourself? And I think, Tony, I think that's the other thing that Jan was trying to get at was, are we sort of in that now and we just don't realise it yet? So, I mean, over to you, Tony. Do you remember sort of having a sort of revelation one day that we really were bad and it really wasn't good and it wasn't going to get fixed quickly? Yeah, probably about a year into Sunes. Mm. And you were like, oh, my God this is the wrong move. <laughs> but in, in retrospect, the decline starts, well, we all know when the decline starts, on the 15th of April, 1989. Yes. And, you know, and but, you know, for, for a variety of reasons, we didn't see it. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about, because there was, while not a similar disaster, um, but there was a huge, you know, disaster in Liverpool's progression. Um, well, for the country, which affected Liverpool's progression, COVID. And I was thinking to myself, when did this decline start? Yes. Because this was a really all-conquering team. And I wonder whether, notwithstanding last season and how great things were, the decline really started um, when we, the game before the pandemic where we lost to Watford. And um, and then the pandemic came along and then we lost to um we, we lost to um, Atletico, as you know, uh, in the last game that they played before um, football went on hiatus, and then there was that ugly period. And obviously, at that season, the next season, well, you know, things were poor, and there was like loads of issues, and playing behind closed doors didn't agree with a Jurgen Klopp team. And then all of a sudden, the bounce back, and last season, you're like, oh wow, wow. Mm. The, 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 there's no decline, but I wonder whether the last season was an aberration. I, I wonder whether that the, the game at Watford, when they got bullied and really badly, w- w- really signalled the time when they should have been thinking, okay, right, we now need, 
we now need to restock this team properly. We need to look at various departments. And so I reckon hindsight, you can say it in hindsight. But I think the, the, the point, well, I'm not sure of the point Jan was making because I haven't heard <laughs> it yet. But like, I, I, I think one of the points to make there is like, it, it, it's hard to see that, to see that moment coming along. And, and that's why the greatness of, you know, sort of Paisley in particular um, was was to... Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Anticipate it before the decline started. Anticipate it and make your move then. I mean, there was only one moment where he had um, a real crisis on his hands, a proper crisis, and that was Christmas uh, um, 1981, wasn't it? Got B3-1 home to City. And uh, they, famously, the um, the, um, uh, 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 the Granada TV program kickoff ended with uh, by playing the parties over <laughs> to pictures of Liverpool. And in, in that week, well, Paisley replaced Phil Thompson, sacked him as coach, uh, uh, sacked him as captain, replaced yeah. him with Sunes, and then they went to um, they went to. Um, they were tenth in the league, I think. They went to um, they, they went to Swansea in the cup and won four 0 first Saturday in January, and didn't lose again until they won the title. And you know, so he was brilliant at anticipating, and, and he reacted early on in the crisis. I don't think that that well, I'm, I'm certain, you know, because after we won the Champions League in Madrid. You know, we all said the same thing. All as our lasses said the same thing. Right, restock from a position of strength. Yeah. Buy this summer from a position of strength. And he didn't. And we went on to win the league. And you're like, oh, well, you know, yeah, well, we were wrong. Well, actually, you look back now and you go, well, where are we wrong? Where are we wrong? Where, you know, should we have done it? And as I say, last season kind of, you know, you can pull up last season and go, well, you can't analyse it like that. You can't analyse it like that. But increasingly, last season looks like the the final throws of a great side who were, you know, who ultimately, when everything is... And, and as I've said before, this was a season like none have seen before. To mm. be in contention, to win all four, going to the last week of the season is just a wonderful... You know, just a wonderful thing, and we'll we'll probably never see the likes of it again. Remarkable, remarkable. But in the end, the two trophies that they wanted most 
they didn't win. Yeah. And and the two trophies that they did win were on penalties. As great a season it wasn't they, they they blew people away. And you know, it, it's on one hand, it's the most remarkable season I've ever seen. And on the other hand, I have to this conflicting feeling about it is was it as good as I thought it was? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And just thinking to that um Soonis, early days of Soonis and something I, I think I, I said to Jan as well was I can remember that the thing that kind of made me keep having hope with the team we had was that, you know, we went and won the FA Cup. I mean, let's not talk about the um, the circumstances of the story to the papers and things that went on then, because that's almost a side thing. I don't think that helped Soonest what he did with the papers, but that wasn't that wasn't the reason it all went wrong. But to me, that was, you know, that was an interesting one that we, we had this... Um, you know, this sort of excitement, we'd won a cup, you know, the FA Cup, and it's still great, you know, shouldn't play down the importance of winning that cup, but it's not the league, it's not the bread and butter, and, you know, it, in a way, it almost maybe papered over the cracks, and that's maybe what's happened happened now, and, I mean, Jay, you don't remember, obviously, back in those days, but you've sort of seen us have false dawns and things, and, you know, it felt like we were finally getting somewhere, I mean, we had, I don't know, maybe a false dawn was the year Julier won us the treble and then we won the other two cups later on in the same calendar year or the year we won in Istanbul um, you know it always felt like we were on the brink of something and then I would say that you know winning the league and the Champions League in successive seasons is more than being on the brink of something except except when you look back now and it feels like almost you know Blackburn are down as, as people who've won the Premier League not the not the league the Premier League Leicester are down as people who've won the Premier League a Liverpool are Liverpool now sort of more comparable to them than the teams they want to be? Um, with one title in 30 years, then it's hard to properly argue the case against that. Some people will say, you know, the evidence stands up for itself. Um, but yeah, like the, the false dawns, as you say, like I I got into watching Liverpool in the early 90s. So 94, something like that. I think that was the year that 94-95 that Blackburn won the league I was actually there yeah. so the first league title I seen at Anfield Horrible. was was Blackburn <laughs> um, but yeah it, it it is frightening when you actually you put it like that to say that you know we've not really got enough to show for for what we've actually witnessed in the last five six years on the Jurgen Klopp we, we we don't have any, any God given right to say like we should have had more trophies but you know what we've put up there you know, points-wise and, you know, reaching cup finals and, you know, circumstances dictate, you know, sometimes looks on your side, sometimes it isn't. But I do feel like we're probably three or four trophies short of what we probably should have won in, in the Jürgen Klopp um, era so far because, you know, <laughs> we can get into it, but there's a couple of league titles that arguably, you know, Given other circumstances, might have been ours and, and been ours at an absolute canter. Um, but yeah, Tony is right in terms of like last season. A lot of people cling to last season as though it was, you know, that was the holy grail. We we nearly done, you know, the unthinkable. We nearly done what's never been done before. And you know, most teams won't even come ever close to doing that. No. But at no point were we top of the league on the last day of the season. At no point were we leading in them two cup finals that we did win on penalties. At no point were we winning the Champions League final. So at no point really was the quadruple as it was t- touted in our hands. And, 
you know, you can say, oh, well, we, we, we had to be in them games to be within a shout, but yeah, that's fine. But you get nothing for taking part other than the silver medal and the thanks and the pat on the back. Like, and we we all probably know now like, we were a couple of players just short and you know it, it does sound like you're banging the same old drum, but when you are in a position of strength, like you know, take Arsenal for example at the moment, they've they've taken a few years, you know, out of the Champions League, out of Europe in some cases, but They've stuck by a manager. They've they've started to build, and they've they've found themselves, you know, at the top of the Premier League table at the moment. And they they've gone and strengthened again in January and given themselves their best shot at trying to win this Premier League. You know, Man City are doing a damn good hand at giving it to them as well. But <laughs> you know, the they're they're in a position of strength where they are in the league, and they're not letting up in terms of recruitment. And that that's all we wanted. We're not asking for, you know, <laughs> killing Mbappe's and Jude Bellingham's every summer. We're asking for, you know. An extra 30, 40 million, you know, here and there every year or so. It's not 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 breaking the bank, not in the position of financial strength that we're in. And that that is the frustration for a lot of fans. Other people will say, you know, we well, you just gotta be grateful and enjoy the times that you've had. But in what we've had in this squad, I do think we are a bit short handed in terms of silverware. Yeah, I think yeah, if you if you get to a point where you're just enjoying the times you've had, you sort of I don't know. I mean, fair play to anyone who say supports Stoke or someone like that. I've never understood how they can go in week in, week out. And when Stoke was sort of going through that spell where they were always sort of finishing mid-table in the Premier League and it was the same sort of stuff every every game and it wasn't very exciting to watch and, and stuff, I never understood it. And I think, you know, as Liverpool fans, we've always wanted more. We've wanted to be entertained and we've want, wanted silverware. And, you know, we've managed to do that. Usually when we've won silverware, we've done it in an entertaining way. But I think, you know, you're talking about the extra 30, 40 million. One of the, one of the issues with the cash and all the rest of it, of course, is that FSG you know, really, really stood by this idea of financial fair play being a thing. And then it really looked like it wasn't going to be one. Um, there was the flirtation with the European Super League, which um, quickly got kicked out of the way, even though in a lot of ways it was kind of making some good points. And even though in a lot of ways those who opposed it were just as bad and they've all gone very quiet now. But it, it was, you know, it, it, it was a case of, look, they need to find a way to get some money so they can compete with the likes of City. But... Um, of course, this week there was news from the Premier League, surprisingly, that they've actually charged City with something like 100 breaches of different rules to do with finances. And then also this week we've had, um, I mean, Tony will probably know more about it just today as we're recording this, the European Super League sort of rearing its head again. Um, you know, if money's the problem, I mean, I don't think money's the only problem. I think it's what you do with it as well. But, ask Everton. But if um, if money's the problem, have we have we got some hope here with this sort of a the charges against City and um, and despite the FA uh, sorry despite the government thing saying that their proposals for the governance of the games meant you can't sort of join breakaway leagues which seems a bit restriction of trade and things I'm not sure the government can get away with that like it or not but are these um, are these good signs for us Tony that maybe maybe there's a way of us um, regardless of who owns us having having the sort of same sort of finances as the people we're up against. Well, before going to that, I just want to take issue with you over something, Jim. Yes. You know what? I never wanted to be entertained. Not once. <laughs> no. Not <laughs> once ever. And I'll tell you what. I had a conversation with Steve Nichol, and we were talking about the 1986, the game at Chelsea, when yeah. we won the title. And he said, you know, Kenny scores after about, what, 18 minutes? 20, no, 20, 23 minutes it was. Yeah. And he said, 
He said, and then we killed the game dead. He said, there wasn't an ounce of entertainment in it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. And you know what? We entertained ourselves. I remember yes. a game at Villa where we were 3-0 up in 10 minutes. And you know what? He just passed the ball around the back. You know, and the back <laughs> pass rule was in there. So, you know, to the keeper, to the keeper, to the keeper. And then they just did that. There was no entertainment at all. Did we care? No. We had, <laughs> we won the title. We had the three points of Villa. Buggy you and your entertainment. Stick it up your jacksie. West Ham fans <laughs> say, oh, you know, I'd rather lose and, and play with style. Play, losing isn't playing with style. It's no. a pile of crap. No, no. You get, yeah. that matters. I think, yeah. Dudes. yeah, you know, I agree. I don't want to lose, lose playing well. I'd rather lose playing well than lose not playing well, but I'd rather not lose. But yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know what? And 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 if you enter, if we're entertained in the in the process, it's a bonus. Mm-hmm. But anyway, back to <laughs> that little rant. Back to uh, what we're talking about. Well, uh, I was surprised in some ways that the uh, the Premier League charged City with more than a hundred counts of uh, of breaking the financial rules, and and rather gratified. It's taken them four years to do it. And yeah. certainly, I know from City's battle with UEFA that ends up in the Court of Arbitration for sport that you know Abu Dhabi employ the best lawyers, and they employ so. lots of lawyers. There was there was a period when the UEFA headquarters were getting like two legal letters a day from City. More, you know, they were getting bombarded and flooded with them, and that's very intimidating. If you've ever been on the ends of a legal letter. And, Unfortunately, I have. It's um, it, it's painful. It takes up a lot of time. The the potential consequences are, you know, whether you're an individual, whether you're UEFA, the potential consequences can be can be dangerous, you know. So, so it does. And 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 City are going to fight this tooth and nail. So it'll probably take another five years. Well, I don't know. It'll take a long time before we get to a resolution of it. Part of it as well is, and City uh, are kind of saying that um, the Premier League rushed this out to try and uh, get out before the white paper on football governance, yeah. which of course has been postponed. Um, so, you know, it's 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 one of those situations where we've got, you know, briefing and counter-briefing at the moment. Um, but, but suffice to say, the... the the Premier League's rules have always offered more opportunity to nail City yeah. for the way they've operated than UEFA's did, because the Premier League don't have the time barred element of it, and the, 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 they have a, a slightly, well, not slightly, a significantly wider financial fair play set of rules. So, you know, there, there is a, a great opportunity for them to actually clamp down. And I wonder whether, it had they done this last summer, the Premier League, whether Liverpool would be, and, and United would be up for sale. Mm. Because all, funnily enough, the, you know, the, the Americans, the, the kings of free enterprise and all that, what they want in sports is tight regulation. So, you know, which... So John Henry and the Glazers, you know, they 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 see City as a not only as a financial threat, and, and that's clearly that, but as an existential threat threat hmm. to the competitiveness of Liverpool. That's easy for me to say, isn't it? Stumbled <laughs> on every word. Anyway, but the, the funny thing is, what while while they think 
they talk about competitiveness, of course. What they would like is a closed circuit league where that doesn't threaten them with things like relegation and things like a drop off in revenues. So it's, yeah, you know, there's hypocrisy at work, left, right, and center. And that brings us to the, uh, the Super League, which is the new proposals uh, that there'll be uh, a number of leagues between, which, which would involve between 60 and 80 teams. And there would essentially be a pyramid. It would be open to anyone. And I think it's completely unworkable. But I, I mean, the first time I come up close and personal to the Super League was when I worked for Chelsea uh, back in uh, 97. 97. And there was, um, at the time, a company called Media Partners was talking around the Super League. And Chelsea, Ken Bates was running it then. And um, so, you know, he, he had a meeting of sort of people there and give their view on whether Chelsea should join it. And like um and, and the, the 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 feeling across the boards was no. He's like, yeah, yeah, fine, like that. And next day I went to the managing director's office office in there, the managing director. It was of Chelsea Village, not Chelsea Football Club. They were two uh, distinct companies, but you yeah. know, you all worked in Stamford Bridge and you're all part of the same uh, you know, uh, organization really. And the managing director that said to me, oh, that the Ken's had to change your minds on the Super League. So I said, oh, why? And he passed me a media partner's, um, uh, what you call it, um, business card. So I took it and looked at it. I didn't recognize the name on it. He said, turn it over. And written on the back was six million. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'd like it. and that was why. And six million would have, would have bought your soul in football then. It's going to take a lot more now. But in the end, ultimately, there will be a Super League. And it'll take a lot more than six million to get people there. But what the Premier League has done this week, I think, sets back the potential for um, English clubs to join the Super League by a long shot. Because they, they, if the Premier League is regulated properly and City and potentially Newcastle United can't just destroy everyone else with financial fire, firepower, then I think the teams that are most likely to want to break away, so it would be six others apart from if we leave Man City out of the equation because they, you know, they, they, they face straight a lot of huge consequences. I think most of the, all of the clubs would prefer to remain in the Premier League certainly in the short to medium term, rather than going to a European Super League yeah. and risk the seismic changes in the game that that would bring on. So I, I think um, I think that the Premier League is not only sending out a message to the government saying, we can regulate ourselves, we don't need a regulator, and a message to the, uh, the, the clubs who are still agitating for a Super League, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus, send out a message to them. Look, you know what? We, we'll get a house in order. We'll be making more money. And English football is going to dominate Europe, whether you like it or not. I think there's a twin message being sent out there. So, uh, but there is a long way to go. And of course, City now will flip flop on their stance on the Super League, I'm sure. And thinking, you know what? If the Premier League are going to do this to us and they're going to give us a Rangers style penalty, which I still think is, you know, it, it, that's, there's a lot of conjecture in that. Mm -hmm. um, um, 
you know, it might well just be a, a huge fine, which they wouldn't mind so much. But but if they were going to get a Rangers style penalty, they would be thinking about um, they would be thinking about going to a Super League. And funnily enough, talking about Rangers, when when Rangers did get relegated to the uh, the lower regions of Scottish football's pyramids, they um, they actually explored the the, the, the potential for um, for applying to join Major League Soccer. <laughs> so yeah, so so there's there's a lot going on, but I don't think any of it moves things forward significantly in the short term. No, no, it's gonna yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see what it does and what City do. I mean, they're they're not like the situation they're in though. They're not going to worry. They're already in trouble if they're in trouble, so they might as well carry on spending. You know, in for a penny, in for a pound. I can't see them sort of curtailing the transfer spending and things. But but we'll see. Another interesting thing when you mentioned Rangers then that I'd forgotten about is for years and years, there was always this stuff about Celtic and Rangers joining a like super British league that was um, that was going to, you know, include the two Glasgow sides playing against all the current sort of Premier League teams. And that kept on being touted every couple of years, but it never came off. And I've, I can't remember the last time I heard it mentioned, so maybe that's uh, died a death. Maybe Rangers being relegated all the way out like that is what's, um, is what killed that off completely. But um, Jay, you're um, probably like a lot of people thinking, um, fingers crossed, they're going to get in trouble, however long it takes. Um, so what would you want their punishment to be? I mean, well, what, maybe what would you want and what do you realistically expect if they get you know, proven guilty of all of this? Well, the standard really has been set by, you know, Italian and Scottish football associations where if you are deemed, you know, to be cheating the system, then you go to the bottom league. Um, whether that be League Two, whether that be National League football, you know, I think it's highly unlikely that that is going to be the case um, for Man City. I don't think... I, I would like to see them stripped of the titles, but I don't think they will. Or if they do, they won't be subsequently awarded to anybody else. They'll just be, you know, probably similar to like the case of Lance Armstrong, where he was, you know, stripped of his titles and, you know, just shamed within the world of cycling. And, you know, I, th- I don't think you're going to dissolve Manchester City from competing again. But I would say the realistic punishment is probably a hefty fine, which means nothing to them because, you know, after you've proven they are willing to put money through any post box and any source of source that they can claim if that business is a a, a station to um, maybe a points deduction, you know, whether that's, you know, next season or the season after or, you know, subsequent points deductions for, for a couple of years, who knows, maybe a transfer ban. But, you know, as we've seen with Chelsea in the past, transfer bans don't necessarily mean that you can't sign players. If you're clever enough, you can. Um. I kind of just get that feeling because, you know, the, the way football's run, it, it's a business and money wakes the world go around that if they've got an unlimited amount of money they can tap into, they'll eventually find one way around or another to to not get such a severe punishment. Um, I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN 
makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, Mac boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Realistically, a couple of titles stripped and points deduction may be a fine. I don't think they're going to be taking up the Premier League. Um, I just don't see it happening uh, because I just don't have any faith in, in the authorities in English football. And I know that, you know, that runs from the FA to, to the Premier League itself. And, you know, it it doesn't really fill you with much hope, but it's a, it's a standard setter in the game of football now because whatever punishment is dished out to Manchester City, then, you know, that, that set the bar for, you know, other clubs who have got maybe dubious financial situations or dubious financial incomings and sponsorship deals to to maybe look at them and say, well, we need to then find another loophole because there's always loopholes in the game. There's always ways that they can find money into the system. You know, they'll just have to be a bit smarter about it. So this is this is a key moment in the game and I just don't really have much faith in the authorities to do what could be a massive statement. No, and I think, I mean, the, the, the key thing, the, the word that gets getting used then as we're talking about this is money. Money, 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 money. It's nothing about fans or anything like that, is it? It's always money. And um, you get the feeling the Premier League will be thinking, um, whatever punishment we do, it's not got to kind of take our money off us as an organisation and all of our clubs, all of our other clubs. We still want to be making money. So we've got to, you know, they'll, they'll try and balance it just right so that, they're not short of cash. And obviously, of course, as we've just said, this European Super League sort of always in the background and whatever the um, government might decide to do, if they ever get around to doing anything other than making everyone want to go on strike, um, we'll we'll have to see, won't we? But um, I'm also thinking that if I wouldn't mind them having the title stripped off them and things like that, but I wouldn't like us to sort of suddenly get an extra couple of titles just because they lost it through that, because it wouldn't feel right. And that would just put me straight away. That reminds me of the kind of the stuff you get off Evertonians who remember that there was a throw in that shouldn't have gone our way in the Derby so many years ago. And if we hadn't have won that, maybe we wouldn't have won the league or something. And they remember it, you know, from like 30 years ago. Um, they can even tell you the linesman that day because you know, they love having a go at us, don't they? But I wouldn't want us to be like that. But of course, Derby's on its way. And well, Jay, have you, um, have you sort of, I don't know, I always have a kind of like nervousness about a Derby, even when we're doing well, because there's all that, all those cliches, form that goes out the window and all that. But I mean, most Derbies for the last sort of, I don't know how long, years and years now, you've had a good laugh about them because you've not really, on the whole, been that genuinely worried once the game's got underway. But I have to say, this is the most worried I've been about a derby in a while. If you could just open the window of Liverpool Towers in the live building and lash that form book into the Mersey, that'd be great. <laughs> because at the moment, our form book could be doing lashed as far as it possibly could. 
you know, what is it, one point in, in the calendar year or something like that, and our top scorer is Val Face from Leicester City, who's a centre-half, who scored two <laughs> own goals. Like, you know, it doesn't get much worse than that. And it, even even the Ev, I've got to win this year. Um, you know, if, if the cliches could just all be reversed, then that would be great. Um, the, the derby is one of them games, and I don't think, there has been occasions over recent times where obviously we have been levels above them. Um, but there's always that sense in the back of your mind that it is a derby and anything could happen. You know, Phil Jagielka could spank one in off the top of his shin pad and, <laughs> you know, Kim, Tim Cahill can just rise above every other defender that we've got, even though he's five foot nine and, and sink a header in the goal. But it, it is a, it's a daunting feeling because they've got, they've got the momentum purely based on, you know, the new manager bounce again, sad cliche, but they yeah. did beat the league, the league leaders at the weekend. And, you know, had things have gone wrong for them in that game, then no matter how bad, you know, we, the situation we're in, had Arsenal turned Everton over on Saturday, we still would have said, you know what, we, we really fancy this. Like, you know, they are the lowest of the low at the moment, but, you know, 90 minutes of football can change a lot. And they will come across Stanley Park with a spring in the step because, why shouldn't they? Like at the moment, they have got that little bit of hope to cling to. The the miles away from safety, you'll find a lot of Evertonians that would say, you know, he could still be going down, or some had resigned themselves to going down. But with Sean Dyche, they've appointed what I think is the best man for them because if he stays up, he'll be lauded, and they are on a very tight budget again, bringing it back to money, and he's he's, he's proven he can do that with Burnley. However, if he does go down, he has operated at that level of football. And again, if the budget is tight, he's, he's proven he can do it. So, you know, may, maybe they waited too long for, to get him in, in terms of what they actually needed, or maybe Dyche weren't ready to come into football such so suddenly because it's, it's been a year or so since he's, he's been out of Bernie. I'm not sure exactly the timeline, but he is perfect for them. He'll play the type of football... That isn't pretty on the eye, but Evertonians will tell you they're actually quite happy with a bit of rough and tumble. They don't mind if it's a bit ugly. They don't mind if they, you know, they're cheering for corners and throw-ins because, you know, as long as they're fighting for the shares and, you know, they're giving 100% and they're not really asked, but it doesn't fill you with any sort of joy for Monday night, really. It really doesn't. No, no, not for us. And I think the reason they took so long to get Dice in is because, you know, it took them a while to realise that Lampard... Um, Shouting at Klopp wasn't quite enough qualification to to get you through what you need. Um, but I also I also think that with them that they they sort of didn't want to look in the sort of if, if there's like a different load of catalogs for which you know for different types of manager they've not wanted to go looking in the catalog that Sean Dyche is in with all with all due respect. I think they've been more wanting to look at the catalog where you've got like international managers and managers of AC Milan as as they've ended up getting and stuff and. Um, and really, they've sort of gone for those managers, but not necessarily put all the other stuff in place. And now they've maybe got a manager that they need to get them to survive. But it also kind of it kind of goes against all those sort of aspirations and ambitions they had a, a few years ago when they were giving me abuse, Evertonians, because you know 
claiming I was frightened because they'd spent money, you know, because they'd bought players and these players were talking about their club being the best. You know, and all the usual stuff you get when you're at Evertonians talking about their club being the best. We're bound to say something different, but, you know, they thought I was frightened because they had money now and it wasn't the case and it was proved to be right. But Tony, they, you know, the, the, the difference in the type of manager they're going for now is that, is that sort of, in a way, is that desperation because they know where they are? Is that is that a good, sensible thing, or is that is it more than anything? Is it just a sign that you know those ambitions that they had have got to be parked now? Because really, maybe they've now become a club that needs to sort of survive and just keep its place in the Premier League rather than sort of thinking about getting any further than just being in the league. Oh, definitely. I mean, they had grandiose ambitions, and they tried to recruit in the managerial market to match those ambitions. And it turned out to be an absolute mess because it's uh, one um, one 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 former manager. I think we can all guess um, who it might be. Um, but said like you know it's um, the most dysfunctional club he's ever seen, um, and yeah. that's uh, considering his history. You know, you get it right there. Um, so yeah, so Everton uh, at last a hefty dose of realism and. I, d- I think they shall keep them up, and um, no questions at all. I just uh, I do have concern about us getting diced on Monday because Burnley uh, were always a difficult team to play against, and um, you know, uh, I, 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 he made them awkward. And you could see they, they they had energy and they had a plan against Arsenal, and which they've been devoid of, you know, under under Lampard certainly, and. Um, and under Rafa, they had a plan, but they had no energy. Mm. So you, you've got um, a situation. But I mean, you know, it's, it's what seven managers in seven years. Well, it just shows you what a mess of a club it is. And um, and they, they would get some sort of coherence right before the derby, wouldn't they? Yeah. I mean, ah, oh. but no, um, you know, we've got there's certainly not a great deal of talent there in terms of. Being a, a a good Premier Premier League team, and by that I mean a mid-table team, they still look somewhat short of talent. But hard work can get you a long way, and that's one thing um, that 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 Dijon brings to them. Yeah, I mean that's the thing, isn't it? Is that is that? I mean, in a way, people who were calling for Klopp to go—that's what they're hoping would happen if we change manager, but. It doesn't always happen, and even that that massive win for them because it was a massive win. That would have been a massive win for any team against against Arsenal this season. They're just sort of they've been almost unbeatable, and you know it's it's um it's shown they've got vulnerabilities. But God, the vulnerabilities we've got it's just it's just frightening. And Daesh will have done his homework. Um, he'll have been watching football in a leisurely way, but you can guarantee he'll have been watching the game. And he kind of you know as much as we are. Uh, as much as we're sort of struggling this season, and we're definitely not the the team we were last season, nowhere near. Um, we're still a scalp, and that would apply to any team down that end of the table, as, as we sort of see Everton as being. But um, Jay, are you sort of? I don't know. Is it that we've got? To, when we're talking about a bounce, we need to have a bounce of our own. I mean, is this going to be the time to do it? I mean, it, I talked about this before with football that you know about motivation and stuff, and how players don't look motivated and. Um, I mean, Trent, to get, Trent gets it, but do the rest of the players get it? Do you think that this is a massive match? This isn't, you know, this is bigger than any other game in the calendar, really, because of who it is. You know, ne- never mind what the league table says. Playing them is massive. And do you reckon 
I mean, can Trent get the message across to the rest of them, even if Jurgen can't? Um, ooh. <laughs> I don't know. He <laughs> doesn't seem to be getting many messages into himself, like, at the moment, but it is... It's the, it's the first game I look for when the fixtures come out. Like, yeah. and it's probably... I think that might apply, you know, to, to certain bands of Liverpool fans. Of, there's, you know, people will look for the Man United fixture, you know, in recent years, maybe Chelsea or Man City, but it's always the derby. And then you look at the derby and you think, right, well, it's always likely to be rearranged. And, you know, this one, unfortunately, is a Monday night. I'm not, not too keen on the Monday night games at all, really. But, um, you know, you're checking, are you in work? Are you off work? If you work shifts like I do and stuff. And that, that's the source of importance it has. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, Dice should be drumming it into them exactly what it means. And, you know, that that this is their cup final. Like they have two cup finals a season because they never progress in any cups. So, you know, when their derbies do come around, it's the cup finals for them. And you do wonder sometimes, is it a little bit lost on us? And there has been recent occasions where, you know, Klopp just springs a surprise and throws in some mad derby selections. Like, you know, you think of recent years when Divokarigi's been taken up the chest freezer and defrosted for the derby <laughs> or you know, Jadon Shakiri has suddenly, you know, pulled his socks over his hefty calves and, and made an appearance and then not being seen for the next 10 games. It's, it's it's one of them weird ones. So, you know, whoever he does put out there, you've just got to trust that, you know, he, he's he's assessed what he's got and maybe looking at the current training pitches, he might have a couple of more options, maybe from the bench to bring on, um, that he can do the job because... I was looking at our fixture list and we are now literally a boom or bust time of the season. We've got the Derby Monday, uh, a trip to St. James's Park on Saturday evening, 5.30 kickoff, which, you know, the way they're playing, the way they've got their ground at the moment, it, it's going to be a tough atmosphere, mm-hmm. a tough place to go. And then we've got Real Madrid on the horizon at Anfield, like four days later. Almost feels the easiest of the three. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just not a nice time, but... If we can come through them fixtures unscathed in terms of no losses, you know, and I'm being sort of level-headed here. I'm not saying we want three wins. We'd love three wins. But if we can come through them three fixtures with, you know, like a win or two and a, a draw, you know, it, it might just be the turning point that gives us, you know, some hope with the season because at the moment we're just, you know, free riding downhill into, you know, the abyss of mid-table mediocrity where you're looking at, results for Aston Villa and Crystal Palace and thinking, well, you know, if if they don't win this weekend, maybe we can cling on to our top 10 position, which is a weird thing to be saying. So, yeah, if we, if we can we can muster something. And I know there's there's a campaign online for, you know, a flag day on the cop and trying to get the ground, you know, vitalised and give it some sort of energy because, as I said, Monday nights aren't the most enjoyable fixtures. If we can create something, who knows? Who knows? Because... At the moment, it doesn't seem to be coming from the lads on the pitch or, you know, the messages and getting across from what the coaches are trying to say, if that's the case. And if we can do our best as, you know, the cliche 12th man to give us something extra, this is the game we've got to do it in. Yeah, I mean, I think I've definitely seen this this side in recent times look like it struggles against any team that have got a loud following. You know, if we if FA Cup games even at home and they can bring a lot more fans, we look like worried. They go away against, you know, it ends up being a bit of a cauldron at someone else's ground. We look worried. So maybe, you know, maybe it's time we did do that 12-man thing. But um, 
something rather I, I can't I can't be bothered doing predictions for this game because it's too too um it's too hard to predict, I think. But something I think that sort of relates to the Derby in a way. It's just I'm not going to loads of time on it now. Um but it was mentioned that there's a lot of sort of resentment almost between or there seems to be, certainly on if you believe social media, like Liverpool fans from Liverpool and Liverpool fans from the rest of the world, um, you know, booters not being um not being sort of respected as much as they should be, or vice versa. And, you know, as if this almost sort of impression being given that Liverpool fans hate fans who aren't from Liverpool, which I find mad because I think I think that sort of straight away stereotypes any fan that's not from Liverpool, just like you stereotyping people who are from Liverpool. But, you know, we won't like you. I won't like a fan who does things wrong, just like I'm sure we're all the same wherever we're from. And, I mean, this city... Tony, this city is being one of the most welcoming cities ever. As long as you're not a Tory, basically, you know, you, you know, we've welcomed people from all over the world. It's what the city is. The accents and mixture of all kinds of other, other sort of influences and everything. So, I mean, I kind of get it. There is resentment sometimes, but to me, local fans don't, don't hate people who aren't local. You know, you just got to do it the right way, haven't you? Yeah, we're a city of immigrants, you know. I mean, to me, it's 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 right and proper to support Liverpool, no matter where you're from. And like, it's all we ask is that you, you know, you you treat a a, a way of doing things, a way of life, with some respect. You know, it's um, I, I did in my column last week a bit about um. I was on a train going back to London when um, like sort of some what, 12, 15 years ago. And um, a fellow recognised me. I was, you know, was at the times. Then I was doing a lot of telly, and he said, "He's been having this conversation to me." You know, he said, "The one thing you change about Liverpool, the one thing I really don't like." I said, "Oh, what's that?" He said, "The police." He said, "You know, if 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 the club was somewhere else, it'd be brilliant." I don't like it. I don't like the people. I was like, "How could you say that to me? How can you say that to me?" And you know, it's like, look, we don't care who you, you know, where you're from. Do us a favour. Don't turn up at the sun. If you want to turn up at the sun, we don't want you. And you're going to get a hostile reaction. You know, that don't like, you know, sort of, um, you know, one of the things that gets me is like, and, and, and scouts do this as well. He's singing the scouts of Tommy, shop I know that you're gone, up the bun. I'm like, what's that about? <laughs> what's that uh, that's I'd imagine a man calling Evertonian a chance to try and make fun of our son. You know, yeah. it's one of them. Stop it. Don't do it. And I've given a few people are telling off about you know, including scouts. It's like so, you know, it's like we just ask for, for simple things, you know, and um, and and come and enjoy it, you know, come and come and embrace what the city has to offer and what the club has to offer, and that's that's all we, you know, that's all we want and all we're, we're like, and and come and join in. Don't yeah. be standoffish. Don't look down on us. Don't look down because you know what. The, the the rest of the country looks down on us anyway. And if you come and support the team because they had some some success while you were growing up, but you still look down on scouts, then we don't want you. And no. they're the people yeah. we don't want. And you know, but everyone else, we do come and enjoy, come and have fun. And you know, and I can see why people occasionally say go and support your local team, but that's a bit stupid as well yeah. because you know. Especially given my generation were forced, you know, like I live in London, my generation were forced out of the city by Thatcherite policies because there was no jobs. You know, yeah. Norman Tebbit said, "Get on your bike." Well, you know, we didn't have bikes, but we still had to go, you know, find our way 
to 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 get somewhere to make some sort of life. And I, I think that's something as well that young people in the city, where you know, despite the economic situation in the UK at the moment, the city is. Is, is buzzing more than it has probably in at any time in my life in terms of um, the economy and jobs, you know, it's one of them. So, you know, there's building works everywhere still and and, and every time we go back, it's something different. So, yeah. so you don't have to leave. So I think some of the young people don't, don't realise that, that, you know, what it was like in the 80s and um you know manage to climb and all that so but you know it's like there's lots of children of scousers who are coming back and they haven't got you know the same accents and why shouldn't <laughs> they support liverpool because they grew up with the family supporting them but it doesn't matter whether you're family or for whatever reason you support liverpool if you support liverpool come you know it's like the odd dickhead will be like oh you know you're not scouts we don't want you here but they are in a as far as i can see a vast minority one one of the things i always remember back when i was like 15 so you know sort of like you know 1976 and all that those um liverpool supporters all over the world scarves come out mm. you know sort of with the pinstripes and all the flags and the globe and like I, I was really proud of that i was like i wanted one of them badly i was like oh yeah yeah we have supporters over the all over the world you know we're we're that sort of club we're famous and you go away you know it's when i lived in california um, went down into Mexico to this little, this little like um, uh, restaurant, famous lobster restaurants down on the Baja Peninsula. And we went in there, and we sort of as we went into the um, to, to the to the um, dining area, there was like a, a ship's um, uh, what do they call them? The thing where they they have the power on, you know, one of them. You, you, you move the like the lever from side to side to get the power. Yeah. Forget what they're called. Anyway, and that like on you know Liverpool because it was made in Liverpool. So we were standing there and we we're like, oh look at that. Mm. And that fellow come over and he goes, you know, well, you know what, what are you doing looking at that? So we said, well, we're from Liverpool, and he was like, oh Kevin Keegan, Kevin Dalglish, <laughs> I'll get you the best lobsters you ever had. I'm the owner. Come and sit down. You know, free margaritas. You know, one of them. And that was the response we got from being from Liverpool, and it was brilliant because people all over the world knew about us. Actually. There's a little recorder to that story. It's like, yeah. So he comes over to us and he says, like I said, I'll get you the best lobsters. You know, it's one of them, like, you know, wherever you want in here. And my brother goes, Jesus, chicken and chip. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it can be embarrassing. Scousers can be embarrassing. We are embarrassing but we're, uh, on occasion. But you know what I mean? That, that, that sort of global reach was there before the television generation. So I, I see people on Twitter saying, you know, people from all over the world saying, you know, you wouldn't be big without us global fans. Well, we were big before you global fans, you know, before television did it. Yeah. So so that's a stupid argument as well. But enjoy it. Embrace it. You shouldn't have to try and create a division between the fans. And I'll tell you what, the one thing about online is that it allows you to, that, that sense of community that we had going the match, you know, you went with your mates, and that's why you went the match. You didn't go. You know, the, again, you know, we talked about Stoke earlier on. I can see why they, they continue to go because yeah, you go yeah. with the mates and it's, you you know why. You yeah, just yeah. wind and Stoke fans <laughs> up. And um, but you know, it, it it's more about that. We were lucky we supported a club that won. But you know, if I was being an Evertonian, I still would have gone. Same <laughs> way with me mates, you know, it's one of them. So so there's that. But the the internet gives 
the chance to build a different sort of community where you can connect with people and you can share sort of experiences and all that. So that that makes it a positive thing. Where instead people are trying to do this, you know, it's uh, you know the only reason Liverpool is so big it's because of us foreign fans. And then you got the other side. No, they're only big because you know us who vote the matches. And it's a stupid, stupid argument. Like you know, Liverpool have had since. Well, since Yankee come along and the development of mass, you know, sort of globalized media, it's slowly built up. I've had a following across the world for a long, long time, and we, we embraced it, and we should continue to embrace it. Simple as that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Craig Johnston was a was a boy who'd read. I think, you know, living in Australia all those miles away. I mean, it wasn't, um, you know, it, it, it was the, it was the club that people had heard of. I mean, we were successful, but that's it. And I don't think, however you got into the club, you love it. You love it whether you're from a local or, or from a further afield, whether you've been local and had to live further afield. It, I just think we're lucky, we're privileged to be on the doorstep, to have been in positions where you could just go the match at the last minute because someone had a spare, you know, maybe when you weren't expecting to be able to go, stuff like that. You know, it's it's a privilege to have it on your doorstep to be able to just go down to Melwood in days gone by, and you know, if you well, I've never stood on the wheelie bins, but I have um, stood outside the gates watching players go in and stuff. And these these are all the all the sort of privilege you get as a local fan. But Jay, we've said it before, haven't we? That this city is is welcoming, and I like the bit about the chicken and chips then as well, because it's also like people are just generally speaking very honest, and they'll say what they think and. We say, don't we? When you come to the game, if you do, if you're lucky enough to come to the game, you travel from far afield. You know, don't just do the game, do the city. You know, do the bits around the ground on the day, maybe. But you know, investigate the city, have a look around, listen. You know, it's amazing just sitting sometimes and having to listen to people. Um, you know, listen, learn, and have a laugh. But you know, be prepared to have the piss to carry you now and again. Yeah, I think I I, I always say like because I've grown up in around the city. We don't really appreciate it enough. Um, so those people who don't live and, you know, weren't brought up in Liverpool, they come and they're amazed. And quite often they'll say, like, oh, I didn't think it was this good. Or, like, you know, the people are really, really nice. And, you know, there's loads of nice pubs and bars and restaurants to go to. And there's always there's always something for somebody to do, no matter what your age are, no matter what your your interest in life is. There's, there's something here for you. Um, and I think, yeah, because we live... In amongst it, we don't really appreciate it enough. Like I will probably go into the city centre only a handful of times a year, and every time you go, there is something new there. And if you've got people who aren't from the city coming, there's so much to do. Like even if you're not interested in football, there's just a, a wealth of things to do in and around. So if you are not, you know, city based, or you're one of these, you know, what what some people call out of towners or day trippers, who are coming to the Liverpool game, it, it's more than just a match. Like, that's just 90 minutes of your day. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a hell of a lot more to this place. And yeah, it, it, we're not trying to flog the city because, you know, like, people will <laughs> say bad things about it. But there's a reason why, like, for example, we've got Eurovision coming to, to our city. There's a reason why Liverpool as a city won that sort of mini competition amongst English representation for, for the right to host it because. Well, we do see ourselves more connected to Europe than what we do the actual country that we live in. But yeah. it is—it's a place to be. Like, there's a connection to music. It's just a good place for the party, which is what Eurovision is. And if you are in and around the city in the next few months, it's literally plastered everywhere because you know we're proud to have it. Anything that comes from us 
as a city and people, you know, that, that puts us in a good light, then we're proud of it. We will we will sing and shout about it. We don't want to be part of the, you know, the naysayers and those that put us down in, in the establishments and the government. That they, they can just go and, you know, do one, as they say. But there's a, there's a lot of yet to come and do. And if the football isn't great, whether you're red or blue, because at the moment... It pretty much isn't, you know. Even Sam, <laughs> even Sam, you aren't doing that well this year, and you know you do keep an eye out for them just because they're the local team. You will always, in my opinion, just have a little look at how they're doing in League One or League Two, whatever they are. You know, it's not going great on the football side of things. So come and enjoy what what else we've got to offer. Yeah, I agree. Um, if you are coming over for the derby, um, I hope that on the Tuesday you're not going to be like. Um, on the side of the city that kind of wants to throw a sickie and stuff. I hope that it's going to go well. It's not... Uh, it's nervous times, isn't it, being a Liverpool fan, coming up to the derby. But we've got to be hopeful. We've got to hope for the best. And the thing is, you know, we've been football fans a long time. This club's been around a long time. We will get over this and we'll recover from it, I would say. Let's leave it there. Let's hope that when we come back for the next Scouser Tommies, we've got loads of good things to say about the derby. Loads of good anecdotes and um, and that we don't want to just gloss over it and talk about something else. But Tony, Jay, thanks so much for today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being prepared to listen to a football podcast when football's probably the last thing you want to think about. Um, that's it for now. We will see you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.